is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast. And I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Longwoods International, one of the premier research firms in the travel and tourism space in the world. Longwoods produces groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and service to DMOs in areas such as visitor research, advertising effectiveness, image research, and their new resident sentiment survey. Learn more about this new breakthrough product and more at longwoods-intl.com. And now on to our show. Our guest today is John Groh, CDME and President and CEO of the Rockford Area Convention and Visitors Bureau, a position he has held now for a decade since July of 2009. John began his career in the destination marketing industry two decades ago when he joined the RACVB as communications manager. He's also served as international sales manager, director of public affairs, and executive vice president. Within the visitor industry, John is the past chair of the Illinois Council of Convention and Visitor Bureaus and the chair of Destinations International's Foundation. He has also served on the boards of the Upper Midwest CVB Association and Destinations International. He received his BA from Bethel University in St. Paul and then earned a master's in business administration from Northern Illinois University. John Groh, welcome to DMOU. Hey, it's really nice to be with you, Bill. It's great to be with you. Uh, not that we don't see each other a lot because, I mean, we're only like an hour away from each other. But uh, as I read your bio, I went, wow, where have the 20 years gone? <laughs> this has been an interesting road. <laughs> I'm not as young as I used to be, and I'm not as old as I'm going to be, but it has been a good 20 years. <laughs> it has been. And congratulations on your recent elevation to chair of the Destination International Foundation. Before we get to your three questions, tell us where you want to take the foundation. What are your goals for the year? Well, thanks. Uh, I'm really honored to be ch chairing the foundation. I think it's always an honor when your peers select you to uh, step in and lead any organization or effort. You know, the foundation's work is really important to the success of the association, but more importantly, to the members that we serve. So, you know, over the coming year, I really hope to, you know, ensure with the board and the staff, all great people, that we continue to deliver value to the members by supporting the association. And we just kicked off a $5 million campaign that will fund the work of the foundation over the next three years. We're well on our way to uh, securing those funds and reinvesting those back into advocacy programs and research projects, uh, leadership development, global development, uh, and those efforts will directly benefit all of our members and the industry at large. You know, one of the things I'm really excited about and I hope to be able to lead into is uh, helping to communicate the value of the association and the work of the foundation to all members, uh, big and small. You know, Rockford is uh, a tertiary market. We have, in comparison to some, a small staff, uh, and in comparison to some, a really big staff with uh, about 15 people all in on our team. And so I, I take it very seriously that uh, I lead you know, a smaller organization in comparison to most who have served in the chair role and uh, want to make sure that we're delivering value and products from the foundation and the association to all members, uh, big and small, and uh, I'm looking forward to a great year. So here's one of the things I think a lot of people may not know is, is that a lot of the products that I think are associated with Destinations International are really foundation 
projects. And without the foundation, these things would not be available to members. Tell us some of the things that the foundation funds each year. One of the roles of the foundation is to be the innovation and incubation arm for the association. So a lot of the products and tools that uh, members might know, you know, the organization and finance report, the you know compensation survey, you know, even the economic impact calculator, those are funded and uh, made possible by the the work of the foundation. Sometimes that that those products get turned over to the association. Uh, you know, for example, the Destination Next Future study that came out a couple of years ago and now has is uh, in the process of its second refresh and you know looking to the future of what is coming next. Uh, that's uh, work that's funded out of the foundation. Again, sort of in the incubation and innovation, we're the R and D wheel of the association. Um, and uh, yeah, you're right. I think uh, we could maybe do a better job communicating that. The, you know, the work that Jack Johnson and team are doing in this, you know, in the world of lexicon and how we talk about the the, the industry and our impact. Uh, that's coming out of the foundation as well. The weaponization of travel work of how we. You know, the industry becomes a target with boycotts and bans uh, and, and how to um, get ahead of that and prevent that from happening in the future. That work is funded. And uh, increasingly, the work is actually being done by a great team of researchers on the foundation staff. And then uh, many of those products are rolled out and uh, become sort of permanently housed in the association, um, essentially as they become a viable long term uh, products and services. But again, the R&D wheel. Very cool. Well, best of luck on your uh, year as chair of the foundation. And speaking of the foundation, let's get to your first question. A recent white paper from Jack Johnson and the foundation identified the opportunity for DMOs to be known less for heads and beds and more as what Jack is calling a shared community value. It's almost as if he used your CVB as a model because your organization has never followed a traditional DMO playbook preferring to do what needs to be done regardless of convention. So I don't think that you called it citizens first when you began down this road a decade or so ago, but tell us about the evolution of your DMO from being on the hit list of a former mayor to becoming today <laughs> the go-to agency in the Rockford region. You know, <laughs> I take a pause because I always know that we can become you know, on somebody's hit list again. You know, we, we have, I think, transformed the organization into a much more citizens focused um, organization, you know, keeping in mind uh, that, you know, ultimately tourism is a means to an end, um, you, know, the, you know, in terms of developing a greater community uh, in, in, in all facets, quality of life and economic development, uh, you know, uh, areas in, included. The role that I think we play or the, the approach that we've taken uh, over the past several years now to be more citizens focused, uh, I think really came out of understanding our mandate and understanding why we exist. Uh, you know, I always look at the work of our organization and the work of destination marketing organizations across the globe as, you know, how do we meet the needs of our community? And that's different in every single community, of course. Uh, I think we're, we're all so unique and different, and it's hard to sometimes compare apples to apples with other colleagues. Uh, but we really took a step back and said, why do we exist? And what does our city, city and our region need, need now? And maybe to your question, Bill, of how we got here or that we've never been you know, traditional, and I guess I appreciate that because I would hate to be traditional or um, 
you know, average. You know, I think it just goes back to, you know, always wanting to meet the needs, meet the mandate and be open enough to say, you know, what we've been doing isn't maybe what we should be doing or what the community wants or what the political class wants and and not holding anything so tightly to say we know best or uh, we're in charge or it's our money, but to you know, kind of take that approach of, you know, what does the community need? So uh, probably seven years ago now, I mean, is when I can really think about a sort of a demarcation point. Our board was having some really great conversations and we started looking at things through the lens of a resident and started having, you know, kind of the way we phrased it then was we weren't going to look at our work and our impact and what we could achieve in the community and say, if it's attracts a visitor, it will be good for a resident. Instead, we've been saying now these last seven or so years, if it is good for a resident, it will appeal to and likely attract a visitor. Um, And so in our community, you know that 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 means a a lot of destination development work, a lot of placemaking work, um, in addition to our core roles of marketing and selling. So over the past couple of years, some of the things that you've done that other destination marketing organizations wouldn't probably, I mean, you, you headed up a community cleanup. You started a downtown festival in November. You've done some amazing things like uh, leading a, a campaign to uplight the riverfront that frankly, that's not part of our traditional playbook. How did all this come about? Was there a, a, a moment in time? I mean, you, you say that, that the board began looking at things through a different lens, but was there a catalyst? Was there something that happened that caused the board to say, wait a minute, we, we have to change our stripes? I think there were some catalytic moments or events. One of the moments that I remember was Rockford had a, had a festival that had been in existence for 29 years, was Illinois' largest music festival, and uh, it ceased operations. And there was sort of a big wound in the community that that you know really great coming together moment wasn't going to happen every day, Labor Day weekend. And not only did the did the festival go away, the organization, the nonprofit that produced it, and a few other smaller events went away. And so I recall a conversation with the board that said, in the absence of On the Waterfront and On the Waterfront Incorporated being gone, who will bring the community together? You know, festivals and special events create rituals and moments that bring communities together and become a great product that bring in visitors. So I remember that that point where, where we said, if not us, who? Or if not them, who? Um, and, you know, we, we were looking at uh, times of the year that we needed product infusion or events. And so that did lead in November of 2012 for us to create uh, an event uh, that uh, now has 85,000 plus people coming for over a seven hour period in downtown Rockford to kick off the holidays. It's a magical Disney-like event that's called Stroll on State uh, and has brought our community together. And I think given um, our organization room to dream about what else we can achieve. Um, it was an overnight success. Uh, we had a lot of great people, but I think it really hit the 
pulse uh, of the community, you know, that we just seized the moment there. It had actually started as a, as a project to decorate downtown for the holidays in Rockford, the downtown wasn't decorated on the holiday uh, for the holidays. It always looked like October and December, and that really drove me crazy. Um, so it started there, and then we said, "Well, if we're going to have a tree, we should have a tree lighting. And if we're going to have a tree lighting, we should have some singing. And if we're going to have singing, we should have a Santa." <laughs> and then, then it became fireworks and lights and horse and wagon rides and ice and skating. Five thousand people, <laughs> and now eighty-five thousand people. Yeah, so wow. scroll is a big one, and so that really led us to dream about our activation strategy. And because part of that came out of just how the community looked, uh, we had done a community survey and, and our residents resoundingly told us that the way the community looked was not up to their standards or their expectations. And that was post uh, recession uh, and public works departments hadn't come back. Uh, they still haven't come back to the staffing levels that they were then before. And uh, so we created a program called Forest City Beautiful where the CBB manages by contract, uh, public spaces throughout our downtown, and now uh, with an extension of a, that agreement throughout the city, uh, with hired landscape architects and uh, hired crews to maintain. But we often work with volunteers to install, uh, to really drive ownership in these types of uh, spaces. Uh, so Forest City Beautiful has been going on for five or six years now. Uh, that's led to public art with a couple uh, series of rotating public sculptures that we brought into uh, the core of the downtown, but not just, you know, throughout the central city that led this past year to us doing a, a mural festival with nine murals created over uh, about a week's period of time. And so, you know, these things live squarely in our product development and our destination development role but they've really given us a face to the residents that we never had before. And I don't think we would have without them. You know, I think we can talk about the economic impact of a soccer tournament or a sports tournament. And Lord knows here in Rockford, we're really fortunate to do a lot of those, but it doesn't really change people's lives. Residents aren't going to take a selfie with the, you know, the soccer team from Cincinnati, but they are going to take a selfie in front of the Christmas tree or in front of the mural that we painted. And that all flows back to us in, in really great relationships and positive credit. Uh, we don't do it for the credit. We do it for the product development work and that we get a better destination and a, and a better city that we all get to live in. And one thing I say, Bill, all the time, people say, oh, you know, I'm doing this for the children. I'm doing this for the next generation. You know, whatever good work is being done. And I really can value that and appreciate that. And, but I always think, you know what? I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for now. Like, I want to live in a great city. I want our city to be even better. You know, I'm going to live here, you know, for the foreseeable, if not forever. And, you know, so let's act now. If so, going back to that, if not us, who question and a lot of the work that we've gotten involved in, you know, we, we, we have stepped on toes and sometimes that's okay with me uh, because ultimately we're getting things done and we try to bring in as many partners and we try to be collaborative, but ultimately we're going to move forward to create a better city for our residents. And we know that is creating a better destination for our visitors and our potential visitors. So I was talking to Jay Graham the other day. He's the uh, creative genius behind some of your best marketing and videos, not to mention the curator of one of the best museum exhibitions I've ever seen called Rick's Picks, which I'm hearing may come back soon. <laughs> anyway, Jay says that RACVB isn't a destination marketing organization. It's a destination development corporation. 
Is mm-hmm. that who you are because that's what Rockford needs? Or is this where successful DMOs are going in the future? I think both. Cities, destinations have life cycles. Products have life cycles. And I think a community always needs to be growing and expanding and changing what it's offering to its residents and its visitors. Um, I think increasingly across the country and around the globe, we're seeing just a huge resurgence of central cities, of riverfronts, um, of especially in our country, historic renovations of old properties. Um, and somebody needs to lead that. And, and especially in a city our size, there's space um, and need to uh, you know, be a destination or community development champion in these place-making, unique experiences kind of way that um, I think a DMO can really fill really well. We have our pulse or should have the pulse of what residents want and what visitors want. And we have, you know, the access and the voice to share that with the right people and socialize ideas around our communities. In Rockford's case, we also needed to be and, and continue to need you know, to be a destination developer. Um, you know, we facilitate, we agitate, we speak up and we socialize ideas about what is needed in the, in the, in the community from a product perspective, brick and mortar and experience wise. And so it, it's, it's great that, you know, Jay would, would say that. I think we are, you know, all the traditional things that a DMO is you know, on the marketing and selling and servicing side, on the development side, we have in the past several years started creating experiences and programs that we own and we manage uh, because it matters to the product and it matters to the visitor experience. I think we'll increasingly be doing that in, in other ways that will be coming um, to fruition in the coming year or so. But then I think uh, we also... You know, I, I think about that word corporation and, you know, a corporation has multiple divisions or, you know, maybe it's a holding company of different organizations. And and I think we've started to act that way more and more uh, with uh, sort of specialized teams that are getting things done on behalf of the community. I think that's how we treat our foundation that we established a handful of years ago to bring in additional private sector funds and philanthropic funds to achieve more. We run Stroll on State, uh, which is uh, a quarter of a million dollars in just cash, not even talking about the in-kind and the staff and the volunteers. I mean, we, we sort of run that as a division or, or a subset of the organization. So I'm intrigued by that word corporation because uh, I think it uh, is, is a pretty impactful word that really gets to, you know, being uh, big enough that we can take things on, but also we can specialize in areas of focus kind of in, in pillars. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think Destination Development Corporation fits us, uh, and I hope that fits increasingly uh, my colleagues across the country and the globe. You know, back in 2013, Forbes magazine named Rockford as one of the most miserable places to be in the country. The Bureau responded, I think it was within a week, with a sensational video called Misery Loves Company. Let's listen to the intro of that video. Recently, Forbes magazine rated Rockford the third most miserable city in the United States. Forbes, Forbes. Hey, Steve, does this look like misery to you? So what has your ability to turn media attacks on their head done for the Bureau and more importantly, for the community? (laughs) 
I think it demonstrates that we can be responsive to the community's greatest needs, especially as it relates to reputation and perception. Uh, you know, again, if not us, who would have done that? And who has the capabilities and the networks uh, from a marketing perspective and a public relations network perspective to get that out? You know, but that campaign, while while it's one of my favorites and I think it was effective, uh, was not popular with everybody. I had a certain segment of the business community and political leadership who thought I was calling attention to the ranking that we were and that we should stop it and we should pull it. Um, I had never had a change.org petition against one of our campaigns, and we had that. There were some people who thought we were making light of significant challenges in our community. But I really saw at the time what we were saying was, we do have those challenges. Every urban city does but they don't define us or we shouldn't let them define us. So we, we wanted to sort of take back the, the word misery and turn it around and say, if misery loves company, you might as well be in good company, uh, you know, and, and misery never looked so good and tasted so good. And, you know, all the ways that in the video and, and offline and in print and in our PR uh, that we you know, promoted, you know, we just tried to reclaim that word. I think it's really important. So you see what just happened with Baltimore and the president's tweets and visit Baltimore, you know, turning that around. I think we are the defenders and should be the defenders of our community's reputation. We got to punch back. We have to punch back. We have to uh, clap back and say, no, this is not accurate. We have a big voice and we can do that. And I think uh, it's a great role that we can play. We should play. And again, who else would be playing it? especially in, in fun, clever, unique ways. We're all great at marketing, or we should be, so let's, when needed, um, turn it around. You know, it's funny. The, the people who will say, uh, don't talk about it because it just reminds people that, that they slapped us. That is, right. I believe, such an old-school, newspaper-centric view. And, I, you know, I remember when I was in destination development 20, 25, 30 years ago, and, you know, if somebody took a shot at you, don't give it any air, just walk away because that newspaper is going to be in the trash tomorrow. But today online, this stuff, you know, it's like luggage. It doesn't go away. Right. And if, if there's not an instant response, I mean, there has to be an instant response. So, and another thing I, I would just like to suggest, and everybody should go, if you haven't seen the video, just YouTube, uh, Rockford, Misery, Forbes, and you'll find it. It worked and it worked fast for you because you had a treasure trove of great video resources to draw from. I mean, Jay went to the well and put this together in days where you didn't need to go out and, and get the assets needed for the response. You know, so that just goes back to making sure we have great marketing assets that, that, that were prepared, whether it's in-house or with our agencies to, you know, respond. It's not always going to be a negative thing you have to respond to, but, you know, in this world, uh, in this day and age, being able to respond quickly is important. We were able to do that. Uh, that campaign lasted about a good month, if I recall. And then we, we transitioned uh, to a, a campaign we called In Good Company. And that took on uh, a life of its own for about the next 18 to 24 months, where we, we featured in all of our print ads online, and our email newsletters, both leisure and, and group, really high quality photos of people in our community in unique places with really immersive photography that showed them in their places. So, you know, it was 
the, the director of the Children's Museum and her story with kids all around her in this really you know beautiful format. And that actually happened to be our 30th anniversary year. So we had 30 of those portraits commissioned and we had a big uh, celebration at the art museum and a big exhibition. And then those art uh, pieces went on tour all over Rockford. So we were able to take that negative of misery and we said, you know, if misery loves company, you might as well be in good company. That was the misery uh, messaging. And then we transitioned it to being in good company in in Rockford. And so we, we kept that uh, positive, upbeat message going for about two years after that uh, Forbes ranking came. Yeah, and, and that works beautifully both for residents and their their pride in community, as well as for, for visitors. And that, that's what I love most about yeah. a lot of the work you do is it, it does go both ways. And I, and I think we're beginning to realize that that's an important role that, that destination marketing organizations have that I think used to kind of fall to the Chamber of Commerce. But, you know, the chambers would do these pride campaigns, but they were, uh, you know, with no disrespect, they were patently disingenuous. I mean, it was, you know, it was clear what they were trying to do. You know, I, I think what destination marketing organizations can do is showcase real people and not be as heavy handed, uh, be more subterranean about the fact that we're showcasing all this really cool maker stuff. And we just want you all to know about it mm-hmm. and, and not, hey, you know, start start being prideful about your community. It's 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 American to be prideful of your community. <laughs> and I, I think that that's where where our work, I think, generally, uh, I think it's more lasting. You know, back to your, your first question. The campaigns and the messaging and how we're telling our stories, you talked about makers, the messages that we're sharing with external audiences can be really uh, impactful and they can really resonate with local audiences too. And so, you know, I don't like rah-rah campaigns locally just for the sake of having a, hey, we suck less kind of campaign. (laughs) But, you know, if our, our good marketing that's externally focused really can resonate internally and I think across the country and cities like Rockford and, and others, resident pride is important. And having communities that give what Peter Kagiyama calls love notes back to their residents uh, is really important. And I think, um, you know, why shouldn't we do that if, if we can? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, time for the bonus round. All right. Traditionally, most DMO CEOs come from hotels marketing, or the media. You come from politics, working as an intern for then House Speaker Newt Gingrich. (laughs) What did you learn from that experience that has served you well as the CEO of one of the most innovative DMOs in America? (laughs) Oh, that was a long time ago. (laughs) You know, I had a great experience on the Hill, you know, and as Hill internships go, they go fast and it's high paced. I was Surprises anybody to have gotten that internship in the press office. Newt had a really big press office. And, you know, I remember Madeleine Albright coming in for a meeting one day. And then the next day, the governor of Illinois came in. And, you know, it was just high powered people all the time. And we had flashcards as interns of members of the House and members of the Senate that we had to memorize their name and where they were from and their spouse's name and their kids' names so that 
either we could address them or perhaps we might have to tell another staff member, hey, so-and-so's coming and ask them about their wife, Sue. So like that, I guess that one lesson there is always be prepared. Know who you're interacting with or who you could be interacting with. Be prepared for anybody and anybody at any time to walk in the office and, and, and need something and have to give them attention and focus. You know, I saw how quickly... I mean, so much has changed since the late 90s, but how quickly things move in politics, uh, the deal making that's made, the people coming and going. I mean, there was corporate people and lobbyists and, you know, all sorts of walks of life coming and going who wanted the attention of staff members and, uh, of course, the speaker. I remember an experience, and this is not a good one. There were days that I got sent upstairs into the attic. There was an office up there that was the policy office. And I was filling in for somebody for about two weeks and I was bored out of my mind because they were just like, answer the phone when it rings. And it wasn't my sort of traditional work I was doing. And so I started working on some homework um, as a college student has probably want to do when they're bored at their internship. And I called somebody and I think there was like rudimentary caller ID at that time. And so somebody got really excited because I called, I was doing a paper that I, and I had to call Planned Parenthood. And when I, when when somebody from the speaker's office called Planned Parenthood and it wasn't, I wasn't calling for work or for the internship, I was calling for my paper. I got a call back right away. And they thought that I was calling (laughs) on behalf of the speaker. And I mean, I, I got in trouble for that. Because I, I had to go to my supervisor and say, "How do I back my way out of this?" They, you know. So I also, I think, a little lesson is just be mindful of who you're representing, whether you intend to represent them or not. And that's a lesson we share with our staff: is you are always on. Your private life is often going to become public. Your personal views can become viewed as the views of the organization. Your political views, your political contributions, uh, you know, all of that can become viewed as the position or associated with the organization. So here we now try to say very non-political, non-partisan. We are actively involved in civic organizations and civic issues, uh, but we don't you know, try to back candidates or causes. And we try to be very clear of when a position is official versus uh, maybe just uh, by by association, somebody uh, has their own personal views. So I, I learned that that one the hard way. But you know, I, I think Bill, I learned more about politics here locally. I worked for an amazing CEO, the founder of our organization, uh, Wendy Fisher, and uh, you know you know Wendy well. Uh, I learned over yeah. almost ten years that I worked for her, and I still learn from her about working with local elected officials and working with state officials and the importance of relationships and being there before you have to be there and um, having it be a two-way street. You know, we in this in this world that we live in, which is very political, um, you know, in, in receiving public funds and being in the public face and public eye, we can't just want things from public officials. We have to help them as well. So, you know, asking public officials, especially those that we work very closely with, how can I help you achieve your results? And what are your priorities that I can help with or the Bureau can help with? Uh, because it really has to be a two-way street. And ultimately, I, I've learned over the time from a lot of good people, but including my mentor, Wendy, that you know we serve the public. I think we run really fast as an organization and we get a lot done. And we should because we serve our citizens. 
and our citizens in this great city deserve our best every day. And the public officials we work with deserve our best. Uh, we should be reaching higher and reaching farther. And it's not our money that we're working with. And it's not the hotel's money. It is the citizens' money. And the elected officials can choose what they want. And even with regulations on ho hotel taxes or others can be spent, we have to deliver our value and defend our work every single day. And I think when we're really focused on how do we help the community win, how do we help our public partners win, our industry win, and it's not about us and it's we're, we're approaching our work with open hands and thinking about the, the greater good, we stop thinking about defending um, our best ideas or our marketing campaigns or having to uh, kind of defend the work that we do because we're in sync with those that we're doing it with and doing it for. And with that, we have come full 360 from where we started. Great <laughs> conversation. John, thank you so much for taking time out of a very busy schedule in Rockford for this podcast. And those listeners, again, wishing to see the Misery Loves Company video, just search Rockford Misery on YouTube and you'll find it. And treat yourself while you're there is, is go deeper down the rabbit hole and look at the time that they turned a political situation across the border in Wisconsin where the <laughs> Democrats fled the state so as not to be present to vote on a budget they didn't agree with. And they ended up in Rockford. And you turned that to your advantage too. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Our hideaway in Rockford campaign. Thanks for reminding me. And Bill, I got to say thank you for your mentorship and your guidance in these political waters, but also in the fun marketing stuff we get to do. We all learn a lot from you too. Well, thanks. We, uh, it's, it's why we're here. It's why we resurrected DMOU, and it's great to have you on uh, this, this episode. So that's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers that this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Longwoods International. They produce groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and services for DMOs in areas like visitor research, advertising effectiveness, image research, and their new resident sentiment study. Learn more about this new breakthrough product and more at longwoods-intl.com. DMOPros.com is where you will find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, our Knowledge Bank videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.